2: Welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, we are doing a two-part series on female superheroes, which has been a long-requested topic. Uh, but to, but the first part is going to talk more specifically about how women are portrayed in superhero comic books. And we have to thank our listener, Alex, for, for this angle. Because uh, after the Halloween costume podcast, Alex noticed that all of the female superhero costumes that he was finding on the Internet were all male costumes with just the word sassy put in front mm-hmm. so you could be like a sassy Batman, sassy Superman and he was like this is crazy because there are female superheroes um and you know I wrote back I was like yeah there there we need to put some spotlight on female superheroes and he said why don't you start by talking about the women in refrigerators problem?
3: Yes. And women in refrigerators refers to a Green Lantern comic book storyline from 1994 in which the Green Lantern's girlfriend gets strangled and is later discovered inside a refrigerator.
2: Right. And so this uh, comic book writer, Gail Simone, starts a website called Women in Refrigerators in 1999, and she makes a list of of the women who die these kinds of gruesome, unnecessarily violent deaths and uh, published on this website. And it kind of set the comic book world afire, if you will. Boom, pow. She she launched that, that punch into the gut of the comic book world.
3: Yeah, people started sort of dogpiling on this list, and pretty soon they had... An enormous list of characters, fe- female characters, female characters specifically, left and right, who, yes, who die these gruesome kinds of death, and we'll get into this more later, but even when super, female superheroes, superheroines, if you will, are, are injured, it takes them longer to recover, they have a harder time, um, wielding their superpowers, I mean, it is not, it, there is not gender parity in comic books.
2: It's a scary world out, world out there for the females. Now <laughs> yeah. the main criticism that people would lodge back at Gail Simone is, hey, the male characters die too. Like, in a comic book, violence happens. Yeah. It's unrealistic to assume that a woman is never gonna die. And Gail Simone said, no, I realize that. I mean, death happens in comic books, but when you look at the way that the men die versus the way that the, fem- the women die, it's it's again, it's not equal. You know, a male hero, when he dies, gets to go down fighting. He has, you know, this really long fight scene where it looks like he's going to prevail. And he, he might even come back to life later on. And the female superheroes just don't get that. They're usually, you know, shot in the back or, you know, they just don't even get a chance to fight. Or in some ways, the uh, the death is their fault. Let's take, for example, the case of Stephanie Brown, who served as a Robin figure in a few episodes uh, of Batman. And she was Robin's girlfriend for many years. And eventually, when Robin resigns, she becomes sort of the the Batman assistant role. Um, then in 2004, a supervillain named the Black Mask uh, uses a power drill to extensively torture her to mm-hmm. death. And this really got a lot of people up in arms because every other Robin get sort of a tribute in the Batcave. Uh and then and and Stephanie didn't get that. The uh artist who was associated with this said essentially that Stephanie Brown deserved her torture and death because she had failed to obey Batman's orders to stay out of the fight with Black Mask. At one point he was at a convention and said he didn't really even consider her a Robin figure. She was more just, you know, a character who came and went. And there were a lot of just misguided remarks. I don't think that the men who were saying them maybe meant them in this way, but but Stephanie inspired this website, girlwonder.org, uh, women and men who were interested in, in getting her that full hero tribute and status that she deserved. And the, the creators and the writers will come back and say, Oh, Stephanie's death was a big deal because it had impact on the lives of heroes. That is only going to, you know, inspire Batman to fight harder and longer to bring her to justice. And one woman wrote that that's really upsetting because it says that Stephanie herself wasn't a hero, mm-hmm. that it was she was just, you know, aiding a hero in terms of finding his quest. And I think that's a kind of pretty common uh criticism of these super girls, super women that they are just inspiration or uh, hindrance to the superheroes and not necessarily heroes themselves. Yeah. And comic book fans
3: really take this portrayal, these portrayals of females in comics very seriously. For instance, the the mission statement of girlwonder.org is, Batman and other superhero stories are the modern age's fables, and if we don't stop the spread of this rotten now, they will be irrevoc- irrevocably corrupted by it. Stephanie Brown is a symbol of the need for change, and we are going to see that that change begins. And then just to give you... um uh, a few names, uh, uh, more of the Stephanies out there, you know, from the, uh, women in refrigerators list that we mentioned earlier. There are more than 90 female characters, including Aqua Girl, Hawk Woman, Elastigirl, Nova, Lady Flash, and at least two different Supergirls. And <laughs> listeners, if you don't remember any of those characters, it's probably because a lot of them just never came back to life or
2: regained their powers. They just fade, fade into refrigerator land and die. <laughs> Whereas, like, like you said, the men can come back to life. The men will learn how to use their powers more. Um, they talked about this one back girl who was paralyzed and, uh, everyone else who's been paralyzed eventually comes back. This, this one never did. And, uh, some of the writers themselves who are female talk about the kind of sexism that exists in that world where one, you know, male came to this female writer and said, we need, we need a rape to happen. We need, we need yeah. s- something really bad to happen to a woman because that's going to spur our hero on. And what this watchdog group, Girl Wonder, wants to do is to prevent that and to show kids of both genders that the girl doesn't have to be the victim or just the sidekick, that the girl can be the hero who has equal powers on her own.
3: So why don't we throw out a few numbers of how well women are represented in comic books? Obviously, comic book readership skews male, so it does make sense that there are more male superheroes. Uh, but there was a study that we found analyzing women's representations in Comic books, and the author found that women comprise an average of 30 per- 31% of characters overall. And women are main characters in comic books 66% of the time that they appear. So obviously, comic book heroes, much more likely to be male than female.
2: And the female heroes that do exist, this study found, are likely to have gigantic breasts, um, be wearing skimpy clothing, and uh, they they also talk about something called the porn face, which is that every time a woman is drawn, she's got this really, you know, it's a face that looks like she's having sex, not necessarily fighting crime. Now, as you said, Kristen, comic book readership skews male. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you only hear about these women who are reading comics when when you're talking about something like women in refrigerators or the death of a female character. And so people are wondering, you know, if this is if this is entertainment for boys, do we really need to make it as, as equal as some of these, these women want it to be? Shouldn't this just be something that's escapist for, for little boys? Yeah, learning this is about fantasy. And, um, and you know, when you think about it, when you think about playing when you're little, it is more likely that the boys are playing superheroes and the girls are playing something like princess. I mean, what the question then becomes is do, you know, obviously we don't want to teach boys some lesson that, uh, girls are always victims, but, Do you have to have this equality that some of the groups want? And there's a pretty interesting uh, study by the American Psychological Association that found that seeing these overhyped images of masculinity that the superheroes present can actually be quite damaging to these little boys.
3: And the psychologists indeed found that boys do seem better adjusted when they Resist those macho images that are presented in comic books and other types of popular media, specifically aimed at that demographic. And they found that when those boys could resist being tough and emotionally unavailable and detached from their friends as they age into adolescence, they reported more, um, psycho- b- better psychological health than the other ones.
2: Right. And those characteristics, you know, detached from friends, aloof, it's it's like Batman. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying that the only images of masculinity that these little boys are presented with are these very um aloof masculinities that show women as victims. Going back to the study that evaluated the different women's portrayals in comic books, you know, the women are often shown as not having real jobs or if they have mm-hmm. jobs, they're in pink collar jobs. Or they're not in full control of their powers, they need someone to teach them how to use their powers, whereas uh, the male superheroes usually come to the world fully formed, ready to beat up bad guys, and if they experience any conflict with it, that's, you know... It's a side plot. It's not the main plot. Now, I do think we have to take that
3: psychological study with a little bit of a grain of salt because it does remind me of our discussion on how Disney princesses affect young girls' ideas of what it means to be a woman and to be feminine in our role in society. And while, yes, I do think that these um, kind of fantasy media images that kids um, grow up with have an impact but it's one, one, only one piece of the puzzle. But you still can't deny the fact that when you get into comic books and especially superhero comic books, what we're talking about specifically in the episode, women fall into one of two camps. The good girls or the bad girls. And. And they all kind of have the same measurements. Like you said, like they all have long hair and impossible curves and generally wear skimpy clothes. But yeah, they they either become femme fatales or they're sassy.
2: Yes. As one writer put it, the difference between the good girls and the bad girls is whether you've got spunk or whether you're mad as hell. And the good girls have spunk and the bad girls are, are mad. And Good Girl art goes back to World War II. At the same time, you've got a lot of pin-up uh, traditional photos like that, lots of cheesecake photos, and the Good Girls are very much in that model. They're adventuresses, they're heroines, sidekicks, or girls who just naturally fall into and escape from trouble. So some examples of
3: some old-school Good Girl superheroes include Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, Senorita Rio, Queen of Spies, Flamingo the Gypsy Gal. Flying Jenny and Sky Girl and then Mista of the Moon and
2: Phantom Lady and Lady Luck.
3: So as you can tell, I mean they're they're kind of these kitschy
2: little heroes. Mm-hmm. But we don't see those anymore. They're this uh this article we found that's comparing good girl art to bad girl art talks about how now, uh starting in the nineties, we have bad girl art, which is girls who, you know, are they're still in the superhero role as those good girl superheroes that Kristen named are, but they tend to wear less clothes. More sexually provocative clothes and have, like I said, more of an attitude. They're more
3: from the dark side. Yeah. And their dark side generally comes from a history of abuse.
2: So again, you know, it's hard to find a woman in these comics who hasn't been beaten up, killed violently, or, uh, just drawn with nothing on, or, you know, who who serves as a hindrance for the superheroes. So, That's sort of the argument of the first part of the podcast is if you're reading a comic book, just any comic book at all with a superhero in it, what are you going to see when you look at these women? You're going to see victims. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the next part of the podcast, we're going to talk about what women have taken on that hero role and how they've done it. And we're going to talk about one very
3: important comic book hero who we have not mentioned at all in part one, but who has very interesting history. And that is, surprise, Wonder Woman.
2: So the first episode, like we said, is to get you grounded in this this women as victims uh, role that the Women in Refrigerators site kind of proclaimed, in which some comic book writers have come back and said, you know, this changed the way I wrote comics. I'm looking for better ways to fit women into comic books. And I think in the next uh, episode, we'll take a look at how well that's worked out.
3: So in the meantime, why don't we read a couple of
2: emails from listeners? I have two really quick ones about the Halloween Costume Podcast. First up from Erin. She writes, I'm not a sci-fi geek, but my next costumes, Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica and Kaylee from Firefly, are both fairly easy, not slutty, and strong, excellent characters. And then I have one from Jess who writes, I wanted to let you know that little boy costumes aren't so great either. As a mom of two little boys, I really hate the foam muscles and body shapes that are built into little boys' costumes. I feel it promotes a concept of an unattainable body type, much like the often criticized sexy girls' costumes. Even toddler costumes for my two-year-old have fake muscles built into them. And she sent us a link of some of the costumes available, and they are they are muscly. <laughs> Alright, well I've got one more
3: Halloween email here, and this is from Katie, who was sending us a report from her second grade classes fall party where all the kids came dressed up in costumes because we talked a lot about that um, study Molly that looked at how Halloween costumes are marketed and designed differently for boys and girls. Mm-hmm. So Katie says, I found it interesting that many costumes aimed at boys are really little more than fancy one piece pajamas and perhaps a mask. Feminine costumes tend to be much more elaborate with sleeves long enough to make writing or eating lunch difficult. Long skirts, wigs, veils, hats, etc. The parents of my students were careful to counter anything revealing in their daughter's costumes with pants and shirts underneath, a necessity as it's getting cold here. One of my little girls had a V-neck dress on as part of her vampire costume, and as they were leaving my room to participate in activity, she commented to me that she felt very nervous because it came down to here. I didn't find the neckline revealing at all, but I thought it was very interesting that she was uncomfortable enough to express it. I hope my report from the midst of Halloween in second grade gives you more insight into kids' costumes. So thank you, Katie, for writing in. And as always, you can write too to momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also check out our Facebook page and like us over there. It is stuff I never told you on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty self-explanatory. Then you can also follow us on Twitter. We are at MomStuffPodcast. And then finally, you can check out what we're doing during the week on our blog. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You. And it's at HowStuffWorks.com.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. The HowStuffWorks.com iPhone app is coming soon. Get access to our content in a new way. Articles, videos, and more all on the go. Check out the latest podcasts and blog posts and see what we're saying on Facebook and Twitter. Coming soon to iTunes.
0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring.